Well, uh, I guess just to come back together again. Um, maybe we should hear from those of you who don't run. What, uh, what keeps you going? Chocolate. Chocolate? Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Sorry? Powerade. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, how about everyone else who might run or do something or <laughs> study hard? What, what things help you to endure? Tea. 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 Coffee. Coffee. And sleep. Sleep. Yeah. Sleep. yeah. <laughs> tailwind. The tailwind? Teamwork. Teamwork. Uh, this is getting Oh, very good. <laughs> how about you, Tom? I reckon you've got something interesting. Just food. Just eat more. Veggies. Just more. Veggies. 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 Not with it's just vitabrits. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> friends, let's pray as we come and hear God's word to us tonight. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for gathering us together. Thank you that you're a God who speaks to us. And please uh, prepare our hearts that we might hear you speak, uh, that we might uh, enjoy your grace to us in your word to us, in the fellowship that we have here. And uh, please do send us out to serve and love you and your people. Amen. Well, I do need to confess something embarrassing. When I first watched The Lord of the Rings, I was so dirty at the end of the first movie because there was no resolution. <laughs> there was no end. I had no idea that it was a trilogy. <laughs> and so I walked out of that movie theatre really frustrated. And what was worse, I had to wait a whole year until the second part of the trilogy came out, and then another year again until the third came out. It was so frustrating. Two years to get complete closure. You could have read the book, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> read, read, read. It's good for you. Yeah. No, I've got a friend who is a librarian, and she actually says it's better to watch the movie first and then read the books so you're not disappointed when you read the books. Because if you watch the movies second, you're always disappointed. Anyway, I digress. Um, one of my favourite scenes in the second movie um, of the trilogy, which is called what? Two Towers. Very good. One of my favourite scenes is the Battle of Helm's Deep. Yeah, all the good guys are on the inside. There's Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli. All the evil dudes are on the outside. They're trying to breach the wall, trying to kill all these good guys so that all of Middle-earth would be theirs. And so it's night time. The good guys are seriously outnumbered. Morale is pretty much non-existent. Their confidence is shot. But there is a few things that give them a glimmer of hope in this dire situation. Some things that motivate them to keep them fighting. First of all, they're, they're warned about not giving up too easily. They need to fight hard against the enemy. You might recall Aragorn saying, Show them no mercy, for you shall receive none. They're motivated by history as well, that Helm's Deep has never been breached before. They're also motivated by history as the elves show up. Um, the elves come and bring some archer support. And Haldir, the elf, says, I bring word from Elrond of Rivendell. An alliance once existed between elves and men. Long ago, we fought and died together. We come to honour that allegiance. They're motivated by history and by community there as others come and, and join in. They're motivated to hang on by promise of the future, to hold on until daybreak when Gandalf and his posse arrive 
Remember, he says, look to my coming at first light on the fifth day. At dawn, look to the east. What is it that helps them hang in there despite the dire situation? Well, they draw on history, they look to the future, and they stand united in the present. What is it that you need to keep you going when things are tough? Is it a few sneaky chockies? That's one of my weaknesses. Um, when things are tough, do you need some friends to kind of help prod you along? Do you look inward for strength and resolve? Do you look forward to the future and hope for better times to come? What do you need? What do you look for to keep you going when things are tough? In the difficulties of being a follower of Jesus in the first century, the author of Hebrews has written this, this letter to encourage Christians to endure, to keep hanging in there. And he's encouraging them to look back to the finished work of Jesus the priest. To look back to the joy that they had when they first believed this good news. Um, to look forward to the great reward in the future where they will receive the promises of God. And so in the present, he encourages them to keep holding on to Jesus. To keep doing God's will and turning from sin and to keep encouraging others to do the same. And so these encouragements to endure have stood the test of time. They've endured themselves for us today. So as we reach this part of Hebrews, we've come to the end of the main teaching block in chapters 4 to 10 about the importance of Jesus' priesthood. And so from this point on, for the rest of Hebrews, it is all about enduring in light of what Jesus' priesthood has achieved. Now, Jesus' priesthood is summarised for us at the start of our passage tonight in verses 19 to 21. And it leads to three commands in verses 22 to 25. Three exhortations that flow out of Jesus' high priestly work. You'll see them in your outline there. Uh, let us draw near in faith. Let us hold on to hope. Let us consider others in love. So come and join me at verse 19 first, and point one there. We'll see what Jesus, our great high priest, has accomplished. So... Chapter 10, verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Let's have a look at those verses first before we keep going on. Uh, Jesus, our great high priest, has enabled us to have unfettered access to God. That's what we see in these first three verses. Jesus, our great high priest, has enabled us to have unfettered access to God. Under the old covenant, the high priest would enter the earthly copy of the heavenly tabernacle once a year. And only ever after washing and sacrifices and lots of blood being splashed around. We've seen that in Leviticus and over the last few weeks. Um, but Hebrews has taught us that Jesus is both the priest and the sacrifice. And under this new covenant, he offers his own body and blood. And not the blood 
of the animals that were sacrificed. And this has meant that all people, not just the high priest annually, but all people have direct access into the presence of God. As long as they come through the priest and the sacrifice of Jesus. And so the curtain that's hanging in the, in the temple, you can see here in the tabernacle, this curtain hanging here, uh, there's an even bigger one in the, in the temple of Jesus' time. Um, that curtain kind of blocked everyone from entering into the presence of God. But it was torn in two when Jesus breathed his last breath as he was crucified. And that was a physical symbol of a spiritual reality. That as Jesus' body was broken, he paved the way for people to access God. And so what that means now is that because of Jesus, we don't go in and out of his presence. We're actually allowed in there and to stay in there. Now you might think that you enter God's presence when you pray. Or if you hit David's secret chord when playing music. <laughs> or in worship. And then you just leave God's presence. You kind of come in and out through, through that. But no, those who have faith live in his presence. Now the temple curtain has been torn. Um, we are united to Christ. Our life is hidden in him. So... Um, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and Colossians chapter 3 tell us that we are now seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, in this throne room of God, in his very presence. We live in his presence. And so we don't need anyone to lead us into God's presence anymore. Some churches will say that is what the job of a worship leader does. They lead you into God's presence. The same idea happens in a Roman Catholic church with the priest. But the new covenant means that is obsolete. Dare I say even heretical. Because as believers under the new covenant, we are already there. We don't need anyone to lead us into the presence of God. Jesus' priesthood gives us unfettered access to God 24-7 forever. That's why we can have boldness and confidence to be in his presence because of Jesus, our great high priest. And so because of this priestly work of Jesus that enables that 24-7 access for all eternity, well, we are urged to draw near in faith in verse 22. We're urged to hold on with hope. We're urged to consider others in love. And so these are the three commands we see in verses 22 to 25 about faith, hope, and love. So join me in verse 22, which says, Therefore, because of all of this stuff that Jesus has done as our great high priest, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Because of Jesus' high priestly work that atones for our sin, cleansing our hearts and our consciences, our minds, that we saw a couple of weeks ago, are not just kind of the external cleaning that we saw happen in the Old Testament sacrificial system, but because it's an internal cleansing, we are made fit to be in the presence of a holy God. And so we're encouraged to draw near to him with complete confidence 
and assurance that we won't be destroyed by his holiness. No matter what we have done. Because Jesus has made us holy by faith. One of my great fears as a child was Santa. He'd be there at the local shopping centre in the lead up to Christmas with his red suit and his fake beard sitting on his throne. And I mean, as a five-year-old, you'd be thinking, who is this creepy bloke that wants me to sit on his lap and answer his questions? Anyone else find that a bit creepy? I do. I find this photo creepy. <laughs> Um, and so Santa would be there, I'd be there with, with mum and, and my, my twin sister and my brother and um, I'd be keeping my distance. I wouldn't want to go near him. But he'd keep saying to me, come closer, come closer. It's frightening stuff. And for years and years and years, my siblings, my parents, my grandparents would always give me a hard time about this. Probably standing a bit of a distance, I'd always say, come closer. <laughs> we don't have to have any fear at all in drawing near to God. No fear in approaching Him. We have boldness to enter the sanctuary because of Jesus, our great high priest. Our sin is forgiven. We are made holy. We are fit to be in the presence of a holy God. So let us not draw back from him. Rather, approach him in faith. Draw near in full assurance of faith. Because Jesus is our great high priest, let us also hold on to hope. Verse 23. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Uh, this confession has come up a couple of times in Hebrews, in chapter 3 and chapter 4. And the confession is this. The confession is that Jesus is both God the Son and an eternal priest who sits at the Father's right hand. That is the confession that we see in Hebrews. This is what the big idea is, is that Jesus is both the Son of God and an eternal priest who sits at the Father's right hand. And so this confession, this statement of faith, is the expression of our hope. All of our hopes are wrapped up in Jesus being both the Son of God and the High Priest um, who sits at the Father's right hand. But our hope, you might have recognised there, is Jesus himself. Now you might remember back in chapter 6, chapter 6 verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Let's talk about Jesus here. Jesus himself is the grounds and certainty of our hope. It's a hope that itself is not wishful or maybe a possibility. It's not that kind of hope that we use today. It is a certainty because Jesus rose from the dead he ascended to the right hand of the Father and he is there alive right now. This is all secured by the very nature of God himself who does not lie. See out there in verse 23. We can hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. So we have every reason to hold on to this hope without wavering. 
This is one of the reasons why we say creeds or confessions together in church. It's very healthy for our faith and our hope that we articulate and encourage one another with the important truths of the gospel. Let us draw near in faith. Let us hold on to hope. And let us consider others in love. Verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. Not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. We've seen throughout this series that the Christian audience of this letter were in great danger of apostasy, of abandoning the Christian faith. They're tempted to return to a Jewish way of life that rejects Jesus as Messiah. And we've seen one of the reasons is because of their laziness, of their weariness, their their difficulty in hearing and, and learning. And so here... They are urged to keep meeting together because community is essential for endurance in the faith. Many people try to do the the Christian life alone. Maybe they've had bad experiences in church before. Or perhaps they don't see a need to make such a, a radical commitment. But show me a Christian who is on their own who doesn't prioritise gathering with God's people. And I'll show you a Christian in significant danger. We need each other. We need someone to keep us on the right track. Someone to encourage us when we're down. To pray with us. To help us when we just don't want to get up. To force us to look outside of our natural self-indulgence and self-absorption to get under our skin and provoke us. To provoke us to love other people, not love myself. To do good works in service of those around us. We need each other, like Frodo and Sam. A loyal friend who walked alongside him and encouraged him. Sam kept reminding Frodo of the truth that their journey is the only hope for the world. Do you remember that climactic scene where Frodo and Sam are on the slopes of Mount Doom? They're so close to getting to the fire where they'll throw that ring in and destroy it and, and uh, defeat evil. Um, but Frodo just can't get any further. Do you remember what Sam says to him? He says, let us be rid of it once and for all. Come on, Mr. Frodo. I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you. J.R.R. Tolkien's work is a vision of the Christian life. And that if we're going to endure to the end of the long and difficult journey of Christian life, well, Samwise Gamgee is an example of what's needed. Truth and community. We need each other to provoke love and good works. To speak the truth and to hear the truth to each other. And we need to do this all the more as the day approaches, the day of judgment that is coming. So that when that day arrives, and we don't know when it's going to be, 
that we will have endured. You need the house of God, in the language of verse 21. And the house of God needs you. You'll find it hard to live as a faithful Christian if you're not committed to a genuine Christian church that teaches the good news, that both warns you and encourages you as you warn and encourage others as the word of Christ dwells among us richly. Let us draw near in faith. Let us hold on to hope. Let us consider others in love. Now as we move on to the rest of the chapter, you might be wondering why I haven't said anything about vaccine passports and the church and government overreach in these verses about gathering together. And that's because this passage has nothing to do with that. So let's move on. The rest of the chapter continues the theme of endurance by giving a present warning in verses 26 to 31 and by giving two encouragements of the past and the future in verses 32 to 39. So come and join me at verse 26, uh, where endurance in the Christian life means hearing the warning to repent. Verse 26. For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy, based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God, who has regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and who has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know the one who has said, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And the point of this section is to remind believers that the Christian life begins and continues with repentance. That as you become aware of sin in your life, you will repent. Now, what is repentance? I've got three C's for you. Um, what is it to repent? Uh, it begins, first of all, with contrition. An inner contrition, a realisation of the ugliness of your sin and, and you are grieved at your offence to God. Contrition. Uh, secondly, there is confession, where you admit you admit your sin fully and completely to God, maybe to others as well, if that's helpful. Contrition, confession, and finally, it will involve change. Because uh, that is really what the word repentance means. Metanoia means to change your mind. Uh, and so it'll mean you'll stop doing that sin. You'll make changes to your life. It'll be evidence. And so in these verses here, um, as we look at the, the person, who is it talking about? On view is not a Christian who is having a bad day or a bad week. 
Okay? As Christians, we still continue to sin. And by the work of the Spirit in us, we will repent of that. Maybe not initially, because we'd like to hang on to our sin a bit. But uh, here this passage is talking about the Christian who knows they are sinning, but continues to not repent of it. They deliberately keep on sinning. Uh, and it goes on and on and on and on. Uh, they know who Jesus is, but they willfully and deliberately keep sinning and rejecting his offer of forgiveness. And I'm sure you can, um, you can follow the logic here of this passage, that if you reject the only means by which forgiveness comes... You know, if you resist drawing near to, to God and his throne of grace, um, you, you draw back rather than drawing near to God, well, there's no hope left for you. If you reject that sacrifice of Jesus, there is no other sacrifice. There is nothing else that can save. Now, these Jewish Christians here, they know how disastrous it was for people in the Old Testament when they sinned against God. A fire came out of the tabernacle and consumed Nadab and Abihu. We saw it in Leviticus um, earlier in the year. The earth opened up and swallowed Korah and his fellow rebels. The, the point it's saying here is how much worse will it be to reject God himself, the Son of God, the great high priest, the only hope that anyone has for forgiveness. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Because judgment is coming for all those who refuse to repent. So friends, do you need to do business with God tonight? Is there some sin that you are stubbornly indulging in? That you need to hear this warning in the strongest possible way? Hear also God's grace to you right at this moment even in your sin through the blood of Jesus you are welcome in his presence that is already yours you have boldness to draw near to his throne of grace and ask for help to ask for forgiveness and you know that his heart is kind and gentle because God didn't even spare his one and only son so know that as you confess your sin Know that he is faithful and just and will forgive you and will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He who promised is faithful. We need to hear warnings sometimes, don't we? To wake us from our slumber, to shake us like an earthquake, to bring us to reality. What the author does next is to lift their eyes from their current troubles, their, their continued sin, to look back at earlier times in their Christian life, to see the evidence of their faith in action and the joy that it brought to them. Have a look in verse 32. Remember the earlier days when, after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions. At other times, you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathised with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions. 
In the early days when these Jews grew into their Christian faith, when they put their trust in Jesus the Messiah, they endured persecution for this faith. They willingly identified with fellow believers who were also suffering. Simply because they were Christian, their homes were ransacked, their property got stolen, they were mistreated. And did you see how they faced it? They faced it all with joy. They faced it with joy. Oh, how tightly we grasp onto our possessions. There is a rightness to being outraged by theft and abuse. I know the violation that's felt when someone invades your property and steals your valuables. What would it be like to meet this kind of injustice with joy? How is that even possible? Well, not just by remembering yesterday, but reminding ourselves of tomorrow. Verse 34. For you sympathised with prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you need endurance so that after you've done God's will, you may receive what was promised. Endurance is only possible as we look to the future, to a better and enduring possession. And uh, we're going to see more of that next week in chapter 11. And the reason why endurance is only possible as we look to the future is because we are foreigners and temporary residents on this earth. Our real home is heaven, is the new creation, in the city that God has prepared for those who are not ashamed of him but who are faithful to the end. I know it's hard to be patient, isn't it? Because we live a life of faith. Our world is one in which constant gratification is, is there, and that's what we want and we crave. I think sometimes that is why we keep deliberately sinning rather than repenting, because it just feels so good. We like the gratification of it. Friends, the reality of Jesus, who we can't see with the naked eye, but only with the eye of faith, he has prepared your eternal home. He's prepared the way for you to get there by shedding his blood for you. And he's given you all that you need to endure. Because he's given you his very self. He's given you his church, one another. He's given you his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace. You are with him. He is with you all the time. And, and the precious words that we have here tonight in Hebrews 10, oh, hasn't he given us so much? He's given us everything that we need to endure. And what great fuel these things are for our joy. Indeed, it's the only fuel for real joy. As we see all of the grace that God has given. You can have this joy in the present because of Jesus, our great high priest. Jesus himself is your confidence. He who promised is faithful. So draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Hold on to the confession of our hope and consider others in order to provoke 
and uh, to provoke love and good deeds within the Christian community. And do this with the fullness of joy that comes from knowing Jesus. Verse 37 says, For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay. Jesus is returning. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I'll have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. Let us not draw back from God, from our confession of our hope, nor from loving our Christian community, but draw near in faith and be saved. You see how the passage starts and ends. Verse 22, let us draw near. We are not those who draw back. So do not throw away your confidence. Now I look forward to being back here with you next week. Um, next week will be my final week at uh, Uni Church, which is a bit sad. Um, but we're going to be looking at chapter 11 next week. And I'm really excited about that because we're going to see all those that Jesus has helped to endure to the end because he is the author and perfecter of our faith. Uh, we are going to sing and then I'll come back up for question time later. Um, we're going to sing, well, sorry, we're not going to sing, are we? Um, we're going to sing with joy in our hearts uh, as um, our music team lead us. Um, but we're going to reflect on the words of Jesus to us tonight in song. So please come on up, guys, and, uh, and lead us in this. Um, you might like to take a moment as well as we reflect on that to uh, fill in the communication card um, and reflect as you do that. Maybe you've got some questions that you want to write down there, but I'll be back up in a moment to answer any more questions.